Hello from elsewhere. Oh, that sounded funny. <laughs> Hello from elsewhere. Hello from elsewhere. <laughs> Hello there from elsewhere. <laughs> Hello from elsewhere. I'm Valerie. And I'm Casey. And in today's episode, we're talking about the other lives of Hollywood stars. Valerie, what sort of, because uh, we're talking about like other jobs and careers and hobbies, what kind of weird or interesting jobs have you had? What what jobs have you had? What's your career path? <laughs> so interesting to think back. What is it? Seven years since I, almost seven years since I became a mom. So, although not that I don't have a current, you know, I sew and I, I do that as a little side business. But um, see, past jobs, I haven't had many. Talk about a spoiled kid. I babysat a lot. Uh, all through like you know teenage years, starting you, at twelve. You also scooped ice cream, and you were a ranger in the forest. Yes. Not at the same, <laughs> not the same time. If only. Now I'm picturing you like in the forest, like, scooping ice cream, like Aragorn carrying a mini fridge, a mini freezer to the hobbits with yeah, ice cream. Absolutely. Is that what you did? I was a ranger in the Arctic. <laughs> I didn't need the freezer. I just, mm, you know, had yes. the ice cream. No, but no, you scooped ice cream. I did. At one point, I worked at a good old Cold Stone Creamery my first year of college was fantastic because you know each shift you got to bring home a free ice cream what was the best flavor i feel like i like the flavors other people don't like or at least i, pr- I prefer the sorbets the so you got your pick basically yes. your choice oh, yeah. and you could you know pick a couple toppings to put in it so i really loved like the raspberry sorbet with the graham cracker crust that was my number one and then yes i was a ranger at a boy scout camp for a summer well, i worked there two summers but my second summer i was a ranger which was a lot of fun i backpacked I don't know, over 100 miles that summer and helped the hobbits not get lost exactly actually you you let them get lost that was your job description was let them get lost yeah don't were, tell them what to do they're supposed to lead lead the lead the crew mm. i was just you know support in the back eventually yeah. i'd be like hey guys you want to check your map again yeah passively i didn't want them to be too exhausted before having to get to camp and set everything up <laughs> makes sense what about you well, your past. What's interesting is you have a lot of short jobs. Not necessarily. Well, not really. <laughs> I don't know. I I've never th- thought of myself as a worker with a varied work history. But if I look back, I have a lot of very different types of jobs. Like mm-hmm. my first job was at a movie theater. That one was short, only because I got mono. So I worked there for two days, and I hated it because I just had never worked before. That was the only reason, and I didn't like people and so i had to help (laughs) people with their money and it was just nerve-wracking i was young but yes i got mono and so i had to quit that job um kissing and i was too embarrassed to get my paycheck and one time months later i came back to see a movie and they're like hey are you casey and i'm like yeah and they're like here's your paycheck (laughs) (laughs) so that was nice it was like you know $10? Probably like eighty bucks or something. Oh, like that's pretty good. probably I you only less. Worked two days. Two days, five hours. It was probably yeah. It was probably like fifty or less actually. Yeah. If you're doing five dollars an hour, maybe you got. Paid I wasn't paying. Wage. Getting paid five dollars an hour, but it was well, probably back in like, the day minimum wage. Even then, like it was probably like I was probably getting paid like seven. Hmm. But uh, but yeah, so that was my first job. Then I was a, a janitor, well, a sweeper um, in high school for um, an elementary school. And I loved that job. It was like the best after school job ever. Um, Super easy and I like making things clean. So it was a really good job for me. You are a clean person. I appreciate that. And then after that, let's see, I I did some not all that interesting retail jobs for various electronic stores. And then out of college, I'm not forgetting anything, right? Out of college, I was a book editor. I got to proofread some fun books like fiction and stuff, but I was the main copy editor for the cookbooks, which is you don't cook is ironic. I'm not a <laughs> I'm not a foodie. I'm like the opposite of a foodie, and so yes, it was a little bit silly that I was the editor for cookbooks, but that's all that they had when they hired me and they needed me, so that's what I did. But yes, we've mentioned it before. We're both English majors, and so that was a dream of mine for a long time to be a book editor, and uh, so I. I met that dream and it was great, but it wasn't to be forever. Um, I had dreams beyond that. And then um, then I worked for Lego, which... Which was the dream job. Which, yes, I would still be there if I could. Shout out to, yeah, shout out to the Lego store at the Arrowhead Mall in Arizona. I loved it there and I'd still be there if I 
could support a family on that, but uh, I had other. Are you saying we're holding you back educational... from your Lego dreams? <laughs> yeah. Yes, my <laughs> children are holding me back from Lego dreams. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I loved working for Lego. So yeah, looking back, it, it's weird to think about all these various jobs I've had because um, I don't think of myself that way. But uh, there it is. I've done a lot of different things. And now I'm a school psychologist at an elementary school, so all kinds the of... The real dream job. All kinds of... Uh, anyways, Valerie, do you have an all-important question for us? I do have an all-important question for you, Casey. Really, this one's a little more serious than some of the other ones we have. But what do you want to be remembered for? That is a very deep question and a little bit heavy. And because it's and your question... it doesn't have to be all serious. I mean... You should answer it. I should answer it first? Yeah. You'll answer too, though, right? Well, yeah, yeah, I'll okay. answer it. Sorry, I just meant you go first. It's your question. Mm-hmm. I, it's funny because you mentioned this question today, and I had another question in mind, and we were both thinking about we'd just ask both, but mine kind of fell through the wayside, which is fine because I've been thinking about yours all day. So Yeah, so I think I think what I want to be remembered for and when you know people think about me or they've been in my presence or whatever, I, I want them to remember me for having made them feel welcome like being a welcoming person and I th- and I mean that's why I feed people Casey when people come to our house I'm like hey let's you know you know these brownies I made just because you're coming or, or what do you guys want to eat and we'll make something delicious or and I like making sure that people feel comfortable and that everyone is welcome in my space that's what I want to be remembered for yeah my answer is similar I think I would like to be remembered for just making people feel good about themselves and I don't I wouldn't have said that in my youths, you know, I would have said <laughs> I want to be remembered for, you know, doing this awesome thing or... Um, right. I, I, I mean, writing a book or being, you know, famous in some way. Right. Well, and I still have plenty of creative goals and I know you have creative goals, um, but I don't know. It's not, it's not as much of a driving force. And I also think I want to be remembered for, you know, making people feel good because it's not a strength of mine. A lot of my ambitions and you know thinking about this question of what I want to be remembered for a lot of it is things that I feel like are personal weaknesses and that I can work on and I think part of that is just I've always been a kind of slightly cold person and a little bit um, not a little bit I can be pedantic and a know-it-all and maybe even a little bit vain or at least that's how I picture myself maybe you don't think any of these things of me. <laughs> that's all sounding pretty severe from my point of view <laughs> but you're also married to me so you have to like well me. I wouldn't have married you if I thought that you were all those things the cold I wouldn't have married a cold person <laughs> okay that, that's that's good to hear so I'm, I'm harder on myself than I probably should be but still my ambitions for how I want to be remembered I think are things that I want to improve on not not a place that I've already arrived if that makes sense oh see and I felt like I picked something that I feel like I'm already okay at and want to be better at like something I enjoy doing and therefore it'll be like a natural thing for me to be remembered by hopefully whereas yeah like you were talking about when you're kids you think about like you know I'm gonna be remembered for being a famous author I'm gonna be remembered for I don't even know I didn't I've never had giant dreams is that weird I had huge dreams like un like unnaturally insane (laughs) <laughs> like what? delusions of grandeur you wanted to be in the nba right i did grow up wanting to be an nba basketball but player I think that's common for kids and i kind of grew out of that and then um i still have creative dreams of being you know an author or a writer of some kind and um i don't know don't don't you have any creative dreams you're you're the most creative person i know so <laughs> the fact that you're like oh, no creative dream maybe that's your your success like maybe that's your key to success is you just don't care <laughs> creatively you I just, just do it I really enjoy doing it so then I keep doing it and that's that because that's that's how I think you'll be remembered is is um making things for people because I think that's another way that you make people feel loved or welcomed is yes you... I love like you know when friends have new babies and things I love sewing gifts and sending them off so yeah that might be something I'm but hopefully that you know that's part of the whole like sharing my love people yeah. feeling welcomed and because sewing is not your only creative pursuit you do a million other things and every single one of them that you try i'm i i don't know how to knit but i'm gonna try it and (laughs) boom there's a hat and i'm 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 not very good at i don't really know how to letter but i follow all these awesome letters on instagram and and boom here's a masterpiece to hang up on the wall you're they're all just decent you're a quick um 
a quick student, a quick learner. A lone reed. <laughs> You're, you are a lone, lone reed. reed in the sands of commerce or something i don't remember what he says i don't know but greg kinnear i wonder what greg we didn't look up greg kinnear for this episode hurry look up greg kinnear was he always an actor does he have some other life as a um mailman or uh he could be my mailman whoa (laughs) agreed but whoa (laughs) like not for you for me i want greg kinnear yeah next thing is parks and rec greg kinnear Actually, Parks and Rec is going to come up a lot in this episode. Just brace yourself. Oh, good. We love Parks and Rec. Uh, he was born in Indiana. Yes, it's true. <laughs> so that I've relates never to Parks to look and Rec. Up, but. He went to the University of Arizona in Tucson and graduated with a degree in broadcast journalism. Headed out to L.A. to find his first job um, with Empire Entertainment. Um, and then he auditioned to be an MTV VJ, but was not selected. Oh, man. Can you imagine Greg Kinnear? You've got male Greg Kinnear with the glasses and just complete nerd as an MTV video jockey. That sounds glorious. It would have been fantastic. And then he had some uh, talk shows, like the first host of Talk Soup. I don't remember anything about that. Oh, that's um, pre-Joe McHale, the soup. Mm. Yeah. And then he moved on into acting, so... Nothing supremely interesting for Greg no. What a failure. Mm-hmm. Still love you, Greg. What's funny is that, I mean, his degree was in broadcast journalism, and then in You've Got Mail, he plays, like, a journalist. Oh, interesting. He didn't have to do much, res- much research you for know, the role. He could already be the method actor because it was... It was in his blood. <laughs> All right, what are we talking about today? If it's not clear enough. As with the all-important question, I think we all have something we want to be remembered for. And there's things that we don't even know about these Hollywood actors that we watch all the time. And they have these like alternate lives when they're not on screen and they do all kinds of amazing things. And to be clear, we're not talking about like the dark side of these. Because that sort of, like you yeah. you said that, it sounds like we're talking about the dark side the of these side. actors. No, the other side. No, we're like just talking the, about... the interesting hobbies they have, you know, different, I don't know anecdotes these about crazy their stories lives. that have nothing yeah. to do with the art that they make kind of a thing exactly. or at least the acting that they do so right one of the ones that i looked up since we've been talking you've got mail uh i looked up steve zahn because i love him we brought him up before remember our other podcast from a to zahn a steve <laughs> zahn appreciation podcast yes mm-hmm. <laughs> now on spotify <laughs> don't look that up it's not there <laughs> yet someday that's what you want to be famous for is your uh, Steve Zahn, Zahn podcast. podcast? Yes. Yeah. That's what I want to be remembered mm-hmm. for, for. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. So if you're like me and you can't put names with, you don't remember actors' names very well, Steve Zahn has a small role in You've Got Mail. He's one of the uh, assistant book clerks at the, you know, little shop around the corner. And his apartment smells mossy. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And he thinks that uh, her date could be the uh, rooftop killer. Mm. And, of course. Uh, yeah. And he has, uh, what else? Oh, he has, uh, what word does Tom Hanks use? He's redone the whole children's department. Of course, you have to have a PhD in children's literature to work mm. there. But yeah, so Steve Zahn. He's also in you've, uh, 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 That Thing You that's Do. What I was saying. That Thing You yeah. Do is my favorite of his because, I mean, another Tom Hanks movie. I'm just really realizing that. But yeah, so he has, uh, a, you know, he's Lenny. He looks like a Lenny more <laughs> than a Steve. He's the bass player right because that's how a bass sounds it's no he's not a bass player because the bass player oh, is the one that right. runs away to the military and that's they have right. the replacement so guy. he's just a second guitarist guitar. yeah i think so anyways but so he uh and he is a backup vocalist he also sings on the songs yeah i don't think that's his voice though no it doesn't maybe look like it sounds like him it's really in interviews and he talks about singing so maybe because there's that one song that's like him and not the other guy right that's like one of my favorites. It's a good song, but it doesn't sound like him. But maybe. I maybe don't know. because when he's talking, he pulls like kind of a goofy voice sometimes. That's true. It's so a maybe more when affected. he sings, mm-hmm. it's more of a real voice. Anyways, he's a fantastic, I guess you call him like, a, you know, a character actor. Like he gets these small roles that are often funny or there's other roles where he's played like the stoner. But what I loved when I was reading a bunch of interviews about him is that he... Uh, you know, different interviewers had asked him, well, were you like bugged by this, that you get these character roles or that you seem to be in like a specific casting uh, for a lot of these? And he was like, no, you know, any chance to do acting, to do a fun role is something that I love. And he especially loved that these roles were so 
opposite from his own life. So that made it fun to play. Like Interesting, because I picture him as those roles, right. as one does. And, and the interviewers would say that, you know, he is charming and funny like you would expect, but he is also, like, his voice is a little more slow, and he's, you know, a little more uh, calm to respond. He takes his time and stuff versus being 100 miles ahead, you know, which is how he kind of sounds in um, in a lot of the movies that he plays. Um, what else did you find out about Steve Zahn? Because we, we researched various actors for this independently. So I don't really know much about Steve Zahn that you're going to throw at me here. So I'm excited. So he was classically trained at the American Repertory Theater in at Harvard. So he was actually a stage actor for a long time before he you know got into a few smaller roles and then into Hollywood. Um, but... This is my favorite is because people will still ask, you know, well, is he still acting and stuff? Like, is he still around? Um, but he leads a very quiet life when he's offset. He and his wife have a farm in Kentucky. That's awesome. Also, this episode might be kind of farm heavy. I'm realizing that now. So, yeah. uh, so he has a farm in Kentucky, which is mostly a horse farm. He said they have some goats. He is also very into hunting and fishing. He loves to fly fish. And he loves to garden, which... It's such a calm, like... He's a man after your heart. Right. <laughs> Him and Greg Kinnear. Yes. But yeah, so he was... I loved one interview he was talking about. Uh, he was like so proud of his flowers, of his perennial beds. So the perennials are the flowers that come back every year, which always confused me because annual flowers are the ones that are only there for one year, even though annually seems like it should come back. Anyways, the perennial, so yeah, his flowers that, you know, he's been working on for a few years because they come back each year. And uh, he was talking about, he's like, man, my daylilies are insane. (laughs) He's like, I have great irises. I have a wide variety. He's like, I've got lots of beds, you know, the raised beds. It's awesome. Like, he's just like geeking out about his garden. And I just love that, that this actor would spend his spare time, you know, weeding and whatever. I just find nerdiness so attractive and any yeah, type of anything. nerdiness, yeah. like especially if it's something I don't fully understand, and I'm just uh-huh. like I don't, I I can't quite access this vocabulary, but I love you it don't and talk I find about it attractive. Like day beds. <laughs> I I don't know any of the the um, horticultural lingo, and yeah, but I just love that. Anytime anybody is a nerd about something, something a little bit less mainstream, I guess. Does that make sense? Right. Or well, nerdy it, in the non-traditional sense. Yeah, you know? and as actors, you would expect them to be. Like, 100%, I'm into acting. This is what I do. Right. But for most of them, that's a career. And then you have your hobbies at the end of the day, which just seems so weird to us because it seems like acting would be the dream. So what would what else would you need to do? Right. And But yeah, they all have these like things that they love to do on the side. They have lives. Yeah. And he and his wife, Robin um, Peterson, I think was her last name. She was also an actress on stage and a... Uh, and a writer but um they also started a local community theater in their small little town where is this town um and can i go to it right (laughs) kentucky you said it's in kentucky but my favorite was he was talking about how i didn't realize that there were rules in the um like the actors guild Mm, yeah any of the guilds have yeah yeah so you can't all I know, he was talking about how there was, you know, their community theater was doing a Christmas play and he wasn't acting in it, of course, but like he knew the role and somebody got sick and so he was going to step in, but he had to like call and get like approved from like the actors guild. Oh, interesting. And I was like, is that a thing? Like, do they control where and how they can act? And yeah, I was, yeah, that was odd. out of my wheelhouse. I don't know what that is. But anyway, so yeah, he like got to I, act in his little yeah. local community theater. <laughs> Which personally, it seems like if you had a big star living around, you'd like want them to act in your theater. Right. I love that it's not um, just expected. You yeah. Know? Like he had to be the backup. Yes. <laughs> Steve Zahn is the backup, is the understudy. Exactly. He's just stepping in, helping out. Yeah. He's also a history buff, which he stars in a World War II movie with Christian Bale. Can't remember um, the name Rescue of it. Rescue Dawn. Yes, that's the one. It's one I've always meant to see, but I have not seen it. Yeah, well, we'll have to I watch it because it. it has yeah. Steve Zahn as the lovable sidekick friend, apparently, to Christian Bale. Which, I just can't even picture Christian Bale and Steve Zahn together. They seem like opposites. <laughs> that, maybe that's why it works. Right. Yeah. So I'm excited to, yeah, I need to look that one up. But funny enough, um, he 
I had came up with our uh, all-important question before I read this one other interview with him. And at the very end of the interview, they asked Steve Zahn, you know, what do you want your enduring legacy to be? And first off, he says that, you know, his legacy is going to be with his kids because they're going to be the ones to actually remember him, which is fair enough. And then he goes on and says, if people say, wait, what's that guy's name? I can't remember his name, but he was really funny. I liked him in a lot of stuff. He said, you know, that's good enough for him. <laughs> like, if people can just kind of remember him as, like, that, that guy, one guy, yeah. that guy. If he can remember it as that guy that was funny and they liked him, then that was enough for him. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And reading other interviews of people who have worked with him, they've all said that he was, like, total workhorse on set, like, always up early, like, ready to get to set and get going and had just great work ethic. And it's just fun to see that he is... a. Uh, I don't know, as nice off camera as he seems on camera, like you're not disappointed in him. Right. <laughs> there was one interview where they were in New York doing the interview and he and his daughter had just gotten to Milk Bar. Have you heard of this place? No. So Milk Bar is like different flavors of milk that basically taste like the milk that would be at the end of a cereal bowl. So like if you had Frosted Flake milk, like at the very end, like that would, or you could have like Fruit Loop milk. So it's like just milk. But it tastes like cereal. Is this a nightmare you had? <laughs> no, this is an actual. This is an actual place, Casey. And this appeals to you? No, I'm just saying. In this, oh. ep- I'm, I know that, but I'm just right. asking. Does this appeal to you? I think I'd rather eat the cereal than just have the milk dregs at the end. Okay, I'm just curious what, what your feelings were on it. No. But yes. But anyways, he was he was at the milk bar with his daughter. So he went there, and then they got to the interview, and he was like, "You gotta try this," and he just like shared his cup with the interviewer, and he's like, "I don't think I like it." Like he's like, "This is weird." <laughs> Steve Zahn like, thought it was Steve weird. Steve Zahn oh, okay. thought it was weird. Yeah, but he tried it. That's amazing. That's a good story. <laughs> and then the interviewer was like, he didn't care about my germs. Like you know, <laughs> he was like, "We're healthy. It's fine." Like, <laughs> and that is my ode to Steve Zahn. Thanks for joining us. Happy beeps, everybody. <laughs> what more is there to say? <laughs> Should we jump into Hedy Lamar? Oh, straight from very happy to very sad. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's bring do this it. thing down. <laughs> Hedy Lamar. She has the most fascinating story, which Casey and I talked about this after we watched the, um, let's see, what's the name of the... The documentary is called Bombshell, a Hedy yes. Lamar story. And it's on Netflix, and I recommend it. It is TV 14, the first 20 minutes. There's some... Nudity? Content. There's actually a lot of nudity, as Jack Black would say in Be Kind Rewind. No, there's not a lot, but there is some, you know, talking about her past and um, the film she was in and stuff. So just bear that in mind. It is TV 14, and it's, it's a very um, informative and interesting documentary. And Yeah, she led a know. fascinating life, which means that, you know, it was often sad. Yeah. I think fascinating is the word for that, like very intriguing. Yeah. But I wouldn't want her life. No. But also... She did some cool stuff. Right. So Hedy Lamar was a famous actress in the, well, for a long time. But you but were saying you were telling me something as you were watching the documentary. Oh, just that fascinating is the word oh, okay. to use when gotcha. you, but you know, I'd happily not lead a fascinating life because yes. right. it often means tragic. <laughs> You'd rather have a garden like Steve Zahn. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather lead a very even keeled life than all the highs and all the lows. But where do you want to start with Hedy Lamar? There's a lot. So Hedy Lamarr was born in Austria, and uh, she became famous for some uh, films just locally there in Austria. Um, one in particular that was a little on the, uh, what would you call it? I mean, she has a... It was explicit. Yes. Kind of a thing. and Yeah, which was fascinating to me. I keep using that word a lot. Which was interesting to me because I would think the old films wouldn't have nudity or anything explicit right. because they're old films and people were more prudish back then right but because but it was a, a newer medium um there were fewer governing bodies sort of adding restrictions so there was actually a lot of again there's actually a lot of nudity anyway so yeah so she's she in was, these movies and yeah and then she was kind of snapped up by this one gentleman you know married really young she was like 19 and gets married to this guy who's a big um manu- uh what do you call it like arms Arms manufacturer, and, I guess. Yeah, so. arms manufacturer in Austria. And so he is, and this is, you know, right around the World War II time. Or just yeah, pre- or leading up. Leading, leading up, up to, to it. it. Yeah, think, this is like early 30s, 1930s. Yeah, all that was happening in Germany and Austria yes. around that time, pre-World War II. Exactly. And uh, so she would actually have 
like her husband was like a political person in that sense, supplying, you know, muni- munitions to Germany. And uh, they would have these big dinners, you know, they even mentioned that like Mussolini came to dinner once. Um, the problem was that her husband was like incredibly jealous um, and was always worried that she was going to be like cheating on him or something. And uh, so he basically took all of her freedom away. She was being listened to by the maids and everything. So at one of these big dinner parties, she was in charge. She had been in charge of like hiring um, people out. And so she found a maid that kind of looked like her. And uh, she gave the maid, swapped teas with her and gave the maid sleeping medicine. So the maid fell asleep so she could put her in her bed and like pretend that she was there. And then during the party, she had on the maid's costume and like slipped out and rode a bike all the way to the train station and was out of there. Oh, and she had sewn all of her really fancy jewels into the lining of her coat so that she would have means for her escape. As we were watching this, I kept thinking, this is like a movie. And and it kept getting more crazy and outlandish and also sad and dramatic and you know all these extremes of emotions that could be present in a in a biopic about her life like i'm surprised there hasn't been one yet even and also those fancy parties they show pictures of it and she just looks so bored it's true so her bored. eyes look glazed and she just like you know i mean a 19 year old she probably didn't care anything about politics and uh when she's just the the whole documentary is, is about this and it, i don't know if we'll do it justice but it, it's worth watching the idea that she was always judged for her face. Yeah, she's overshadowed by her looks in terms of how other people see her and, and talk about her when she's got the most amazing brain and, and mind and she's whip smart and super witty and has the mind of an inventor and she was an inventor. I know. So I don't know she, if you want to... There was one quote from her that said, you know, it's not hard to look glamorous. All you have to do is stand there and look stupid. Like that's the idea that of the era that women were preferred if they were brainless, if they were just there for their looks. Right. And I, what I found really interesting, too, is her whole life is her being told what she can and can't do with her body and with um, and all of her actions. And in those early days with the, that explicit film we talked about, she was basically forced to do that stuff on camera. Um, and later, when she came to America and Louis B. Mayer picked her up. Um, and you know, brought her to MGM Studios. It was reversed, but it, it was still a way that m- men were telling her, and men in power were telling her that she couldn't couldn't use her body, and it was like the opposite, like you are going to keep your clothes on now, um, kind of a thing. But the whole her whole life, it was like no freedom to do what she wanted to do, which was use her brain. <laughs> yeah. So the really fascinating part of her story was that she comes up with this idea. You know, World War II has started at this point, and she wants to help in some way she has a she had a jewish heritage which she kind of cut off from uh because it was so you know frowned upon and uh she but like she was worried about like her mother and she was trying to get her mother over to the united states and she was trying to think of ways to help with the war and she wanted she came up with this idea that um this idea for secure radio transmissions um so that like the boats and and airplanes could talk to each other without having their transmissions picked up by the Germans. Um, And so she called it frequency hopping. And so she, I mean, you'll have to watch, this is like way out of my depth. You'll have to watch the documentary on how frequency hopping works. But basically they send the message upon a lot of different wavelengths um, so that they can get it through undetected instead of just having the Germans tune into the right station and there it is, you know, the right frequency. Station probably isn't the right word. (laughs) Um, but again, people not ever looking past her looks. No one believed it was her idea. Everyone right, that was, she was an inventor. That she, but she, she was talking about things that she she said inventing was her hobby. She's always enjoyed coming up with solutions to fix things, and so she comes up with this idea, this frequency hopping idea, and she and a you know a friend who helped her kind of develop it. They take it to the navy, and the navy says no thanks. And they say, if you really want to help the war effort, you can go out and sell war bonds, like all the other actresses were doing at the time. You show up at the USOs, you try and sell war bonds. And she, and that was that. Like, they put it away in a, you know, marked top secret file and got stuck in a case somewhere and wasn't seen for many, many years after. And the the cruel irony of it is that her selling war bonds worked really well (laughs) because she was a famous actress. She sold twenty-five million dollars worth of war bonds, and that's in the currency of the nineteen forties. So yeah, so it was—it's a lot, and it makes her the first Captain America. 
Let's be clear about that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. The military is telling them that they're not fit for service in some way, and so they try and help out any way they can. And also the cruel irony was that they ended up using, basically using her patent, but uh, basically using her invention, um, like during the Cuban Missile Crisis much later. And so it was used eventually, but she never... She never got credit. And that that frequency hopping invention is the basis for so many inventions yeah, that like we use today. Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, um, all kinds of stuff that we use and enjoy today is really because of her. Along with that, she was also one of the first actress turned fe- or actress turned producers, one of the first female producers. Um, the few movies that she did were sadly not well received, but she had such grand ideas like she wanted to put on her own production so that she could finally do what she wanted and then studios wouldn't pick it up like you know she'd fund the whole thing and then studios didn't want to release it well that seemed to be the story of her life anytime she tried to branch out and do something on her own or create something whether it was an invent inventing or in in hollywood itself it was rejected or laughed at or um, or even ignored. when she uh, created a beautiful i think it was in colorado like a beautiful like chalet like you know a ski chalet that people could stay at and um but she lost the rights to that in a divorce because i mean she built it with her husband and so but yeah just one thing after another all of her creative ideas she were never uh her creative ideas were never well received thankfully with the uh documentary that has come out go and watch it it's good and we can hopefully you know get a few more people that know a little bit more about her story yeah. Also, Hetty is short for her real full first name is Hedwig. Which is amazing. So that alone <laughs> puts her at the tops. All right. Can I talk about Nick Offerman? Can you please talk about <laughs> Nick Offerman? So our listeners know Nick Offerman as Ron Swanson of the television show Parks and Recreation. And it's pretty common knowledge that he is a carpenter. All the woodworking on the show was actually him. Um, but there's a lot of, and he actually plays the saxophone yeah, that's also true. on the show, but he's just so cool and such an interesting guy. And, uh, yeah. So Nick Offerman grew up on a farm in Illinois and I've met, we've met, I've mentioned it on the podcast before that, uh, he at times was bored by that life, although he's a really hard worker, but, uh, he read a lot of Lord of the Rings. We've mentioned that before, but one of the stories so that that's he tells, what I'm talking about should have him on the show. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Wonderful podcast. Go listen to it. They should have. Nick Offerman on as a guest for sure. Uh, but no, the um, a different podcast I've mentioned before, Happy, Sad, Confused, they had an interview with him and um, I was re-listening to it to prepare for this episode and more to listen to what he talked about uh, with his growing up on a farm and whatnot. And uh, he tells an amazing story about how, so he grew up on a farm, but then he really got into acting and um, he, while at the same time he was doing stage acting in Chicago, he was also building a lot of the sets for for those shows, um, using his carpentry skills there. Eventually, he moved out to California, um, pursuing um, acting jobs out there, and and he met Megan Mullally, his his wife, um, eventual wife, and she was pretty big at the time on Will and Grace, and he was nobody. Um, right. And he's still at times dressed like a farm boy from Illinois, and <laughs> and and she, you know, had these parties to go Red to for Emmys and stuff. And, yeah. yeah. And so she would. Um, started taking him to fancier places like we we have a a lifestyle to to um live up to now kind of a thing and and he he was kind of fine with that you know dressing up in nice suits and stuff but she told him they're at a store and she tells him go go buy some socks from that guy he'll give you some socks and some underwear and so he goes over there and he says i just like a pair of socks and underwear and and uh the store person you know hands him the socks and he looks at it and it's 42 dollars for a pair of socks <laughs> and he says that was his and megan's like first argument was he was refusing to buy those 42 dollar pair of socks and she's like just buy the socks you know <laughs> and so that's how he sort of sneaks they jokingly said that's how he cheats on megan is he buys his own socks without her knowing you know just a <laughs> pair of socks from sears kind of a thing for a few dollars yes i'm with him 42 dollars for socks right and at the time he just owned like one pair of overalls he said (laughs) (laughs) that really does sound like a farm boy from illinois overalls (laughs) in la (laughs) which is the interesting thing about hollywood like the idea that you have to be somebody else or attain a certain level of style or so that's why we love talking about all these actors who lead different lives from 
what is the you know ideal Hollywood lifestyle. Right. They aren't just that image. There is so much more yes. to them. Um, but yeah, so he, he Nick Offerman does have a, a wood shop, Offerman's Wood Shop in California. And he started that even before Parks and Rec. So even before he was a big actor, he would um, he would act in little things and then you know, go back to his wood shop and that was how he was paying the bills. And then he got his big break on Parks and Rec, but he still wanted to keep that wood shop. So he was able to, you know, hire a manager and other, other carpenters, but he still, he still runs it. He still does wood shopping, wood shopping. I don't, I'm out of my <laughs> vernacular here, but yeah, woodworking. Thank you. Um, carpentry. But in that same podcast episode, he, he mentioned how, you know, in hindsight, he realizes that wood shop is a way of him sort of connecting back to that farm life back back home and uh well he's talked about in interviews before about how you know it was instilled in in him on the farm to use polite language please and thank you and in a vanity fair interview he mentions that they ask him what are the rules of the wood shop and he talks about you know safety first and very clean um environment you know cleaning up after yourselves and but he also says the second rule is please and thank you we use good manners in the shop and we don't allow our tempers to flare one great artist lost his cool a few years ago rather habitually and so he was excused from our company the point of a venerated craft like woodworking is to eschew the rat race mentality that is the cause of so much frustration in modern consumerist society la road rage is a perfect perfect example of what happens to a popular when it feels that happiness lies in the notion of time as money. At Offerman Woodshop, we understand the value of taking one's time to do a job right with meticulous care. We find the resultant recompense to be a more fortifying meal than mere dollars. That just sounds exactly like Ron Swanson, <laughs> like word for word. Like when Ron Swanson has the chairs and the lady's like, we could produce these overseas. And she's like, no, right. this is a, you know, handcrafted yeah. one of a kind chair. Yeah. The wood shop's pretty cool. I looked up online and they've got all kinds of stuff like mustache combs to big <laughs> tables and it's all pretty expensive as you would expect, but, uh, right. well, it's but still really cool stuff. Yeah. Um, there was a story about Chris Pratt on his farm. He also oh, has farms. a, he there has a big go. sheep farm mm-hmm. and, uh, out on his big sheep farm, there was this giant oak tree that was uh, struck by lightning. And so they had to cut it down mm-hmm. and he sent it to Nick Offerman's wood shop to have a big farm table made out of it. Oh, nice. To have family gatherings around That's the farm amazing. table at the sheep farm. <laughs> Cause you know, his pal, Nick. You're right. But also, so back to the Lord of the Rings thing, I had, I listened to this episode of the podcast before and I re-listened to it now and they're talking about how, you know, the Amazon series of Lord of the Rings is coming and Nick Offerman mentioned how much he would love to be Tom Bombadil, which let's just put that out into the universe. Nick Offerman should be Tom Bombadil because... Good vibes. Let it happen. That series is set in like the second age, I believe, of Middle Earth, but Tom Bombadil is this enigmatic, immortal character, so he could he'd definitely still be around in the second age, so bring him in. They also mentioned... He doesn't, he doesn't think he would really want to do it because he doesn't want to leave California for that long of a time that a series like that would require. Oh, right. um, he seems to like to do little projects um, that take him to different places rather than being stuck. But he's like, but hey, if they want to shoot it in Ojai, California, I'll, I'll be there. They have trees. <laughs> and they mentioned Ted Danson because Nick and Ted Danson know each other. And they were in Hearts Beat Loud together. Remember Ted Danson oh, was the bartender? Right. Um, and I think they live close by to each other, I believe. That's what... You know, I never caught the it thing implied. about him being a bartender in Hearts Beat Louder. Right. And in and Cheers, Cheers yeah. he's the bartender. But also he's a bartender in Good Place. In Good Place, yeah, he has a, for that a moment. scene yeah, where he's a bartender. But anyways, I thought you'd appreciate that to with your love back. of Ted Danson. Yeah. Cheers, man. Which is funny because we just started rewatching The Good Place. Mm-hmm. And I've also been like watching Cheers on my own. So Ted Danson's all over and the, then, your zeitgeist. Well, yeah. But then I also didn't even connect the two. I had just started watching Veronica Mars on mm-hmm. Hulu a few days ago and then last night we started watching good place so i'm just in a Kristen bell ted danson triangle here with the, my Never three ends. shows that i'm currently watching all right who else do you want to talk about can we go back to old hollywood for a minute absolutely okay esther williams is a name that most people will not recognize which is a shame because she was famous in the 40s and 50s for these synchronized swimming movies the they often had these like elaborate sets and uh, you know water sets where where she would do these cool stunts and where they would have big synchronized swimming uh, dance or, you know synchronized swimming routines. So she was one of the most popular and profitable 
Hollywood movie stars of that time in the 40s and 50s. Like she made a lot of money for the, who was she? She was with MGM. And also you can even just watch, if you don't want to try to track down some of those movies. Right. I was going to mention they have some of her movies that you can rent on Amazon or you can just look up like YouTube clips of They're Esther Williams. They're awesome, those clips. You and I watched one or two and yeah. they were amazing. They're so cool. Uh, like some crazy stunts. And I mean, like she did her own stunt work because she was a swimmer. Uh, she grew up in California and she was like a teenage swimming champion and like set records, you know, locally and nationally. Um, she even qualified for the 1940s U.S. Olympic team at the age of 19. Uh, but the games that were going to be held in Finland were canceled because of the outbreak of World War II. Um, so she didn't get to go onto her Olympic dreams. So she found some other jobs doing what she loves. Like she was a member of Aquacade, Casey, which... That sounds like an underwater arcade and right? I'm there for it. <laughs> That's what I was thinking too. I had to look that up. I was like, what is Aquacade? So it was a uh, performing group, like a swimming and water performing group that was at some of the uh, um, like world fairs. And so she was at the one that was in San Francisco. And they had like hundreds of people try out for it. And, and she was at the, yeah, the World Fair in 1940 in San Francisco, a member of the Aquacade. And a talent scout for MGM found her. And then he had to really like kind of talk her into it. And one of the selling points was that she could, like in her contract, it said that she would have a daily access to swim at the, um, I mean, I forgot the name of it, but like one of the big... Los Angeles hotels, the Ritz or whatever, you know, something big. Like she had daily access to their pools <laughs> to be able to swim and practice there. Um, but so, yeah, she was nicknamed Hollywood's Mermaid. And she did all kinds of awesome swimming stunts and things. And she actually also toured to entertain servicemen during World War II. And in, did they like bring a pool? Like how, did, wondered, how, do they, right? how does she entertain them that was my with thought. her swimming? She, like Hedy Lamar, was kind of idolized as like a pinup girl. Mm. So I'm pretty sure that even just walking on stage mm, gotcha. would be fine. There probably you know? wasn't a pool involved, <laughs> even though that, that was like her awesome that was her, yes, main she, talent. Yeah, her That's superpower. Her, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and in 1966, she was even inducted into the International Swimming Hall of Fame. Did you know that there was an International Swimming Hall of Fame? Yeah, I watched the inductee ceremony every year. I knew it. You're so, <laughs> you're cultured. so cultured. Speaking of carpentry, not that Esther Williams was a carpenter, but uh, Nick Going Offerman. Going back to Nick Offerman. Um, I'm going to talk about the other most famous Hollywood carpenter, which is Harrison Ford. Uh, there's many, many stories about Harrison Ford being a carpenter in his early days. The the false one, which Harrison Ford has said is not true, but you can still find people that say it is, is that George Lucas discovered him um, when he was making cabinets and then brought him on to American Graffiti, which w wasn't what happened. So Harrison Ford did want to be an actor. He There was a casting director on American Graffiti named Fred Roos, and uh, they, they picked Harrison Ford for... Uh, he has a sm fairly small role in American Graffiti, but uh, they picked him for that. There was no carpentry involved at that point. But at the time, and even before that, so like this is late 60s, early 70s, Harrison Ford was... Um, he was a father, and so he was doing woodwork to pay the bills to put food on the table and he it started with he he was acting and he wasn't quite getting the roles that he wanted um he he was worried about getting kind of all the same types of roles these very small roles and he wanted to have more choice in his acting jobs and and so by being a carpenter it allowed him to make money so that he didn't have to take every single acting job that came his way kind of Be a more thing selective yeah so it allowed him carpentry allowed him to make um make more choices but the interesting thing was he he didn't grow up with that carpentry background. His house was just kind of falling apart. And so he went and got some books at the Encino Public Library on carpentry <laughs> to fix up his house a little bit. And then he started getting jobs for it. His first paid job was for a for a jazz musician from Brazil named Sergio Mendez. And it was like $100,000 to make, I think it cost $100,000. I don't know if that all went to Ford. I think there were some other people that were helping with the job. But anyways, it was a big job for this recording studio in this musician's backyard. And there were, the musician didn't realize that this was Harrison Ford's first carpentry job and that he had just barely learned carpentry uh -huh. through some books at the public, uh -huh. at the Encino Public Library. Um, but the musician loved 
loved his work and so it all worked out but uh he was he never asked harrison ford how many jobs he'd done and so harrison ford never told (laughs) (laughs) so that could have been really bad but it it turned out okay well what's the quote about you know necessity breeds you know like learn i forget the quote but anyways just the idea that like when you have to learn something then you do right so yeah he's i feel like you know you're talking about some of my talents but i feel like a lot of that started there Mm, interesting you know, you're too poor to pay somebody else to fix your clothes, so you learn how to patch them on your own. That's true. And then you just move on from there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so Harrison Ford started doing more jobs for people that were in the music industry or the film industry, and and of course he was an actor, so he did know some people here and there. And Francis Ford Coppola, who had like the same studio with George Lucas at the time, they had the studio called American Zoetrope, and Francis Ford Coppola had asked Harrison Ford to help him with his doors. In, in his office. But in the same building, they were doing the casting for Star Wars. And Fred Roos had suggested Harrison Ford to George Lucas, but George Lucas said he didn't want anybody that had worked on American Graffiti. He wanted, just because he didn't want that to take people out of the movie. He wanted new actors. So Harrison Ford wasn't even in the running at all. He was just doing doors. And because Harrison Ford was an actor and a carpenter, he didn't want people to be confused why he was there in the offices. So he was doing the carpentry work at night. Um, but then one night, it was taking him a long time and he was there early in the morning right when they were starting the casting and uh so it was suggested that harrison ford help read lines for the han solo character so it wasn't even um he wasn't going to get the job there was no implication that he was going to be han solo he was just helping with the reading helping with the casting process kind well, of that's thing. interesting i didn't know that um but then of course he was the best for the job so that he ended up getting the job but uh yeah if he hadn't been woodworking Coppola's doors he wouldn't we wouldn't have him as Han Solo and probably (laughs) not as Indiana Jones or other various characters so yeah all right those are our our, those are our big more interesting ones but we have some honorable mentions of some other interesting um, hobbies and jobs of of various actors and actresses okay I'm gonna slaughter her name I tried to find an interview where they like called her out but they always like cut that part Mm. when they do little clips online anyway so Mayim uh I don't know if it's Bialik or Balik. Anyways, she's the uh, she was Blossom when she was a little right. little kid, and then she's on Big Bang Theory as Amy. And uh, she, in between, you know, Blossom and Big Bang Theory, she grows up and you know just gets her PhD in neuroscience from UCLA. So no big deal, yeah. just like it's nothing. There's that. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty awesome. Yeah. Did you know that Amy Poehler was an ice cream scooper, just like you? <gasps> you are basically Amy Poehler. <laughs> Sometimes I feel a little Leslie Nopish. She has a little. Can I read something she wrote? I would. So love she to hear wrote that. this article in the New Yorker about being an ice cream scooper in high school, and uh, there's just this paragraph, two little paragraphs I want to read. Actually, you should read it because because you were the ice cream scooper. Can you <laughs> see that? Okay. Okay. Just these two. There was a performance element to the job that I found appealing to begin with. Every time a customer was celebrating a birthday, an employee had a had to bang a drum that hung from the ceiling and play the kazoo and encourage the entire restaurant to join him or her in a sing-along. Other employees would ring cowbells and blow noisemakers. I would stand on a chair and loudly announce, Ladies and gentlemen, we are so happy to have you at Chadwick's today, but we are especially happy to have Kevin because it's Kevin's birthday today. So at the sound of the drum, please join me in singing Kevin a very happy birthday. I wasn't sure yet that I wanted to be an actor. I was planning to go to Boston College as an English major and maybe become a teacher like both of my parents. But when I stood in the dining room and demanded attention, I was reminded of things I already secretly knew about myself. I wasn't shy. I liked to be looked at. And making people laugh released a certain kind of hot lava into my body that made me feel like a queen. (laughs) So you know, on the other hand, I'm not like that because when I had to like be like happy birthday and like yell out to people, I was like, well, I felt awkward for the person that it was happening to. Mm. Not that they often cared. But you don't like those sorts of things when it's your birthday. But no, I don't like it when it's, you know, I don't want the attention on me. So then I feel awkward for other people. Mm. It's the same reason why I have a hard time watching The Office. Love The Office. But there's a lot of Michael really cringeworthy, embarrassing moments that just make me a little sick to my stomach. (laughs) Yeah, there's got to be a phobia like fear of embarrassment yeah i get embarrassed for other people like the office is hit or miss sometimes and i feel like the older i get the more i cringe at more things even and so yeah anyways amy poehler is an ice cream scooper just like you (laughs) also um terry cruz so he's on brooklyn 99 what's his name on brooklyn 99 i don't remember uh lieutenant something or other maybe i don't know sarge sergeant Mm. something 
Anyways, everyone loves Terry Crews, and they should because he's an amazing guy. And I think they just Terry. Oh, Terry. Okay. Yeah. This is a Mike Schur episode, apparently. We've covered oh. Parks and Rec, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Good Place, and We've the, office. the Office. So we're all about the well, love for Michael Schur shows today. He's taking so. over the world, so it's okay. Um, yeah, Terry Crews. So he was in the NFL before he was an actor which is pretty pretty widely known. But he's also an artist. He uh, had really? a scholarship to college for art. And when he was in the NFL, he there's a great... I don't like Jimmy Kimmel, but there's a great interview with him and Jimmy Kimmel where they talk about his art. And uh, he mentions how he would often get cut from the NFL teams because he was always at the bottom of the list kind of a thing. And so to help supplement his income, he would do portraits for the uh, like the big stars on the teams. And so um, That's fun. he got big money that way. And he's really good. Like you look at his art, it's really good. I'm going to have to look up Terry um, Crews' art. He, uh, he talks about how it started from, he watched Star Wars for the first time in 1977. And from that point on, he just started drawing stuff. So yeah, he's really good and you should look him up. That's fantastic. Also, did you know Matthew McConaughey was an armadillo killer? That was like a job. Yeah, he I was. I mean, he's from Texas, so that makes sense. He armadillos. was the he was the sand trap raker on a golf course. Hmm. Um, but they started having problems with armadillos, not unlike possums on, on Parks and Rec. Parks and Rec. That's what I was um, say. So then he started getting paid to shoot armadillos during the night to keep them away from the <laughs> golf course, which is a, probably the most Texas thing of all time. <laughs> I don't know. You lived in Texas, so tell me, is that Texas? Killing armadillos on the golf course. Probably. I don't know. I only lived there a short time. Okay. I was a child. I just remember all the y'alls and the big hair and how super friendly everybody was. All right. Let's end on Steve Buscemi. Buscemi. You know Steve Buscemi? Is he in Big Eyes? Is that him? Big Eyes? No. No, not Big Eyes. What's the... uh... He has Big Eyes. (laughs) Christoph Waltz is in Big Eyes. Maybe that's what I was thinking of. Okay. I don't know who Steve Buscemi is, or at least I can't picture him. You will when I show I'm you. I'm sure. I'm better with oh, faces actually, than names. This article. Oh, right. Yeah. So Steve Buscemi was a firefighter in the when he was 18 in like the late 70s, and then through the 80s he was a firefighter. Before, well, actually he was acting and doing stand up at the same time. But in New York, so FDNY, he was a firefighter. And and then when 9/11 happened, he had hadn't been firefighting for a long time, but he helped with like the cleanup, working 12-hour days on September 12th and beyond. So really awesome story and he he refused so cool. to like like i think he kept his face pretty covered and he was doing everything he, ca- he could to not let publicity be drawn to him like he was trying right. to avoid it all which is a really cool move too um but of course the other firefighters wanted to honor him too so it eventually came out that he was helping on on september 11th but uh pretty awesome story there well i'm sure we missed a bunch of awesome actors who have awesome secondary lives alternate hobbies beyond acting but no one can beat steve zahn it's and his beautiful garden <laughs> if only we could go visit steve zahn and his on his horse farm in kentucky and walk through his garden that's now on my bucket list is to at least go to like the community theater and watch a play mm, yeah. yes i'm down and maybe if we're lucky the lead actor will get sick that night <laughs> and on we'll walk steve zahn it's the dream but yeah if you know of other actors who had amazing you know other talents and hobbies then uh, share with us yeah tell us your favorites you can find us on instagram or twitter at elsewhere underscore pod you got it (laughs) i did get it guys (laughs) (laughs) first try yes i'm like batman (laughs) first try and uh thanks for listening thanks for sharing thanks for lovely reviews We appreciate all of you, our listeners. You're fantastic. And on that note, happy Steve Zahns. (laughs) Happy Steve Zahns.